Hello, and welcome to episode four of Immigration Briefs, a podcast that reviews the latest immigration news every week. I'm your host, Adam Frank. We're going to be changing the show a little bit this week. The first part of the podcast will be news items, and then the second part will be an in-depth review of one of those items. So let's get started. The first news item is about Trump and his aides building GOP opposition to Afghan refugees. It's probably not surprising anyone that former Trump aides are trying to turn the GOP against Afghan refugees by claiming that they're terrorists, even though they're fleeing from the terrorists, and even though the U.S. is quite stringent in terms of background checks and looking into the background of these people to ensure that we do not have any terrorists coming to the United States. While some Republicans are calling it mean-spirited, Many are getting on board as they see it as gaining political advantage. The second news item is in regards to the Senate parliamentarian coming back and putting the kibosh on the immigration parts of the reconciliation bill. Going to discuss this a lot more in detail in the next section. But in brief, the Senate has a reconciliation bill for the budget and wanted to include several immigration pieces in that legislation. Unfortunately, this week, the parliamentarian came back and stated that they were not allowed to do that. The third item, the appeals court has overturned a district court decision that stopped Biden from setting enforcement priorities. In another non-surprising move, appeals court overturned a Trump-appointed judge's ruling that the Biden administration could not set its own enforcement priorities. According to this Trump-appointed judge, the Immigration and Nationality Act requires them to arrest and deport all persons who are in the U.S. without documentation. I said it's not surprising that the appeals court overturned this because it's not surprising. The executive has always had the prerogative to determine the enforcement priorities, for ICE, for USCIS, for every branch, really. And the appeals court was just upholding precedent that is out there. In fact, the appeals court called the judge out for trying to, as they put it, fit a square peg into a round hole, meaning that while they appreciated the district court's novel reading of the law, it was an incorrect reading. The next item involves Biden appealing a Texas court ruling that found that DACA is illegal. This week, the Biden administration, as promised, filed a notice of appeal with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals against the District Court of Texas ruling that DACA violated administrative law. It will not come as a surprise to me, certainly, if the Circuit Court overturns the District Court opinion in this case, considering the Supreme Court precedents out there for upholding DACA as a legitimate exercise of executive power. The next item is in regards to the COVID restrictions out there on travel to the United States from certain areas, including the Shenzhen area, China, India, and South Africa. A news article came out saying that in November, these travel restrictions will be removed and lifted. Instead, the U.S. will require those traveling to the U.S. to be vaccinated and to have a negative COVID test within three days of travel. 
I did discuss this last week, if you recall and listened. The only thing I'm wondering now is why they're waiting until November to put this in effect and why not doing it earlier. I don't think much is changing between now and the beginning of November, but we shall see. It should be noted that the restrictions on non-essential entry from Canada and Mexico into the U.S. was just extended until October 31st, 2021. This could just be to keep it in line with these other COVID restrictions that will be removed in November. So they extended these other ones for Canada and Mexico to that period. Or it's possible that they will extend them again come November. We'll keep you updated on that. The next item is actually two articles which discuss the processing times of USCIS. One went in depth into the processing times over the last six years and found that one thing the Trump administration did succeed in was increasing processing times at USCIS, and that, in fact, they have jumped over six times since 2015. In fact, the second article I wanted to discuss, which came out just this past Sunday, quoted the head of DHS, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, as stating that we are working in a completely broken system. And that was in regard to USCIS and our immigration system. We're hoping, really hoping, that now that there is a head of USCIS, that they will be able to fix things quickly and get these timelines under control. The last item is about the Biden administration appointing the former lead immigration judge to head the nation's immigration courts. After years of significant changes under former President Donald Trump that curtailed judicial flexibility, Biden has just appointed Daniel Neal, who retired from his position as chief immigration judge of the Executive Office of Immigration Review in 2019, to lead that agency. His resignation in 2019 came during a time when many immigration judges left EOIR, the abbreviation for Executive Office of Immigration Review, due to concerns about how the Trump administration had reshaped the work the court was doing. David Neal was one of those judges. Again, here's hoping that this appointment also helps fix the broken branch that is in charge of our immigration judges. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into one of the items we talked about, and that's the current immigration plans of the Democrats in Congress and and what occurred with the reconciliation bill this week. So first, let's look at the original plan. The first part of this original plan is a $1,500 fine that would allow those who are undocumented, dreamers, those on TPS and D&D to become recipients of adjustment of status. In other words, it would allow them all to get green cards and become permanent residents of the United States. Second part would be fixing issues on the recapturing of employment-based green cards. The way the system works, which I discussed last week, is that unused employment-based green cards from one fiscal year will be carried over to the following fiscal year's family-based green cards. The problem with that is that right now for family-based immigrant visas, there are approximately 480,000 per year. This is for the preference categories. Immediate relatives can use unlimited 
immigrant visas. Immediate relatives are spouses of U.S. citizens, parents of U.S. citizens, and children of U.S. citizens. However, the way the immigrant visa system is set up, the preference-based family immigrant visas are used to offset those immediate relatives. Now, the law is written so that the preference-based immigrant visas will not go below 260,000. So originally it's 480,000. However, about 220,000 of those can be reallocated to the immigrant immediate relatives to offset those numbers. Because there's a large number of immediate relatives who adjust status every year, every year that 220,000 is used up. Now, what immigration has been doing is when the employment-based green cards are recaptured and added to the number, because the way the law is written and it says that the number of immigrant visas allocated to the preference category cannot go below 260,000, those employment-based immigrant visas are used as part of the offset for the immediate relatives. Therefore, they're never actually ever really used. If they were simply reallocated to the preference category, then they could actually be reused. And that is actually what the law was going to do. Specifically state that those employment-based green immigrant visas recaptured from the previous year would be allocated solely to the preference categories and not used as part of the offset. And it would also recapture all the unused visas from 1992 forward. Next, it would only count principles towards the number of immigrant visas. Right now, for the 140,000 employment-based immigrant visas given out every year and the 480,000 family-based immigrant visas, those numbers don't just count the principal applicant. So for employment-based, for example, the person who has the job and is being sponsored by their employer, it also counts all their dependents towards that number. In other words, a family, let's say you have two parents, one of who is the worker, the other is a dependent, and they have three kids. There are five immigrant visas being used of the 140,000. What this bill would do is change that so just the principle is counted. The next provision would allow for the filing of I-45s, adjustment of status, for family-based and employment-based applicants upon approval of the I-130 or I-140, even if an immigrant visa wasn't available. This would help those in the U.S. who are filing for green cards but are forced to leave because of the long processing times and the long backlogs that are out there waiting for their category to come current. Next, through 9-30-2031, so for about 10 years, it would create an exception to the immigrant visa numbers. Basically, those with priority dates that are at least two years old and who have filed their adjustment of status would be allowed to pay a fine to have their application adjudicated now. That fine would be $2,500 if it's a family-based application, $5,000 for an employment-based application, and for those in the Immigrant Investor Program, which is an EB-5, 
it would be a $50,000 fine. And it would also allocate some additional fees from the general fund that would be allocated to immigration and create fees charged to applicants that would in turn go to the general fund as opposed to directly to immigration. So those were the summary of the provisions that were in the reconciliation bill. So what happened? What did the parliamentarian say? The parliamentarian stated that looking at the regulatory changes and looking at the benefits that the Democrats stated, which were not insignificant, let's put it that way, they showed that there would be over $121 billion in additional revenues. And in fact, there was a letter sent to congressional leadership from a group of economics that stressed how this reform would increase wages for everyone, increase productivity for everyone, create new jobs, and would generate additional tax revenue and strengthen worker protections for immigrants and non-immigrant workers alike. All these benefits. But the parliamentarian looked at the changes being made to the regulations and weighed the two and found that there were actually the changes were too broad to be justified by those benefits stated. Many people feel that the parliamentarian ignored a lot of facts here, the biggest of which is that immigration provisions have been included in previous bills. Previous parliamentarians found that these type of benefits outweighed the regulatory challenges and, in fact, outweighed it by quite a bit. And the immigration pieces of legislation that were included in reconciliation bills before are not that different than what was being done here. So what's next? What's going to happen? Right now, the Democrats are trying to determine what to do. One avenue they have is to cut down on what they're asking for. In other words, reformulate these immigration provisions, make them smaller, not help as many people. Unfortunately, that's going to cut down the benefits as well to the United States. And it, unfortunately, it also looks like this is probably the tact that they're going to take. There is another avenue that they could look at, which is sidestepping the parliamentarian's ruling and just putting in the provision. There is nothing that states that they're required to follow what the parliamentarian states. And in fact, there are times in our history where the parliamentarian was ignored. The most recent being when Senate Republicans remove the 60-vote threshold needed to approve Supreme Court justices. The parliamentarian had ruled that that was not a valid exercise. However, Republicans went forward and did it anyways. There are many people, including immigration activists, urging the Democrats to do this. One thing I think that is probably stopping Democrats from doing this is that if even one senator says no, the bill will not pass. And at this point, I think there is probably at least one senator who would say no if the Democrats try this. So what happens next is up to Senate Democrats. They can either reformulate the bill and include less immigration provisions, 
or they can try to sidestep the parliamentarian. I will be sure to let you know what happens as soon as I know. If there are any changes that happen, I will definitely report them here and let you know. Thank you for joining me for another episode. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at immigrationbriefs.com. Music, as always, is provided by Steve Combs. I hope to talk to you again next week. Until then, ciao.